Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. It's great to be with you this morning for this two-part series this week on friendship and community and next week on singleness and sexuality. I'm giving these talks for Darabin Presbyterian Church next month and so this is my dry run and I'd love to receive feedback from you, uh, things that might be clearer, the way I've used the scriptures or illustrations that would make their mark more easily. A friend loves at all times and kinsfolk are born for a time of adversity. So is Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and kinsfolk are born for a time of adversity. And if it's true that a friend loves at all times, of course, you've first got to work out what a friend is, right? And that's a really hard category to work through in our culture. I lived for a time in Germany and discovered that Germans can only have six friends, right? That's the limit. And to change from the formal pronoun for you to the informal pronoun for you takes a particular friendship ceremony where you sit down and you know that you're going to change your proverbs (laughs) and you drink to it. And it's a formalised process. You can only have six friends. I remember as, a, as an exchange student kind of talking about these friends and those friends and my family saying, you can't, that's impossible, you can't have that many friends. <laughs> and I learned kind of what they meant in the end. But, of course, if you're on Facebook, you realise you don't even have to have met a person to be a friend, which, of course, devalues the currency. We, we don't really know how to think about friendships, and I don't think Christians are, on the whole, so much better. So where do you fit on the friendship spectrum? You have your six friends, no one gets in, no one gets out, or everyone on Facebook is obviously and clearly and immediately your friend. You need to think about it because Australians are desperate for friends. In 2016, in the 2016 census, uh, 25% of Australians were recorded as living alone. And I think it's actually slightly more now, six years later. A quarter of Australians live by themselves. And if you or friends are amongst the divorced or separated in Australia, which is now 30%, This is a statistic which I found extraordinary from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. Relationship separation tends to result in an increase in loneliness across ages and genders. However, the effects are more pronounced for men than for women. Recently separated men are 13 times as likely to develop loneliness than married men, as opposed to twice as likely for separated women compared with married women. Separated or divorced men feel, experience deep loneliness in great numbers. And, truth be told, ministers need friends too. And lots of ministers, those employed in Christian ministry, neglect their friends. During lockdown last year, a friend in ministry phoned me and said, could we go for a walk and talk, which is what kind of what you did in lockdown, uh, because he said he doesn't have many friends outside of his parish 
Not that he was asking me to be a particular friend, but he wanted to talk through the implications of not having friends outside of his parish situation. He'd caught up with a school friend whom he hadn't seen in 10 or 15 years, and he said it was the best thing that happened to him last year because they talked about the football and they talked about their gardens. Friends, we need to invest in friendships. Friends help us make sense of the world. So this morning is a spiritual health check. How are you doing in having friends and in being a friend? We do need a wide variety of friends who share common circumstances because it's good to feel like we're part of a community, something bigger. Someone you just associate with at the school gate or you see in the playground or you talk to when you buy your coffee at Parkside. During lockdown, I went for a walk each day at around five down the Mooney Valley Creek and I saw the same families with their dogs and with their kids walking and it was a beautiful sense of community through extreme circumstances, right? It's not that I want to kind of recapture my lockdown experience particularly. I didn't choose them. That's kind of the, the beauty of it. And it was hard to talk to them if we got into a conversation because I wasn't quite sure if we had anything in common. But I figure that if we're meant to love our enemies, surely we should be loving people that we randomly meet down on the creek. These kinds of people we don't choose, but they give us reassurance nonetheless and some sense of connection in our neighbourhood, though the small talk might be challenging. But, of course, beyond that wider group of friends, we need friends as well who share common interests, common commitments. It's not that we want to feel like we're part of a bigger community, but we do want to have something in common with folk that is personally meaningful to me. So these common interests, these common commitments come through your small group at church, your church or your small group at church, people you share your household with through your book club or your football club. These aren't just random attachments. These are quite deliberate, right? You choose to be in that Bible study group or you choose to belong to that book club. It's not just that we're part of something bigger, but we feel like we belong somewhere. We kind of know who our people are. They're very important attachments to have where we choose that group to hang with. But we need more than just folk we share common circumstances with or common interests. We need friends as well who know our soul, with whom we can share things that aren't passing but lasting, with whom we can share more noble things than what we got out of that book or the enjoyment of the game. Someone we delight in and have affections for and whom we're prepared to sacrifice ourselves in their place. It's a deep sense of connection, so satisfying, based on a common vision of our future. 
where we share our souls. They're relationships where we feel more integrated as human beings having spent time with them. We feel like we come alive somehow. I know that C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves uses four Greek words and tries to pitch them as different kinds of relationship, one of them being friendship, one of them being love and so on. But I think actually he overplays his hand and that in those kinds of relationships where we find something lasting that we build our relationship around, we're actually swapping moment by moment, day by day, between those different kinds of loves. They're not so siloed. When Aristotle was asked what is a friend and he wrote a lot about it, he said, one soul inhabiting two bodies. One soul inhabiting two bodies. That we share deep and lasting things. Now, I, I've uh, asked Pat if I can share this story. Pat Donahoe is a friend of mine. We don't have anything in common. <laughs> we don't live nearby. We, we, our paths don't cross when we're kind of going for a run or taking kids to school. And we don't have many interests that we share. I pretend I'm interested in his deer hunting, but it's really just <laughs> faking it. So what do we do when we, when we meet to talk? When we talk about our evangelism, we talk about our prayers, we talk about the struggles of our soul. We have a common yearning for something lasting, a common yearning for the city that has foundations. We make fun of each other along the way. I can't bear the way he does his top button up without a tie on, it just drives me crazy. <laughs> But we do share a desire to grow in godliness together and to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Jesus, when he's in conversation with Peter in Mark chapter 10, is trying to help people know what it means to give up things for the sake of Christ. In 10.28, Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. Like, don't ask more of me, Peter is saying. And Jesus' response is just glorious, 10.29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, of course, along with persecutions, that's part of the deal, and not only in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. It's a beautiful passage. It doesn't actually name the word friendship, of course. But what Jesus is saying here is that our regular associations or those we share common interests with in the end won't provide the meaning we seek. He's kind of saying nuclear families are not the meaning of life because actually you have to relativise the importance of a nuclear family so that amongst God's people you can be blessed a hundredfold. It's kind of saying being single 
is not a fate worse than death? If we forsake all these things for his sake, for the gospel's sake, don't, won't we receive a hundredfold more in this life as well as life to come? It's the kind of friendship that Jesus is describing amongst God's people. I've benefited so much from those families who've invited me into their own homes or on holidays or regularly to dinner and who've encouraged me to read the Bible to their kids before bed. We do something differently as Christians, right? We can relativise what we might see in our culture as sacrosanct, the nuclear family. To understand relationships or indeed friendships in a wholly different and lasting way. The Proverbs says much the same thing in Proverbs 18.24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think our churches are healthiest when we think of them based not on the family unit but a community of friends who have a vision for each other's flourishing. And these friendships aren't based on contracts or covenants. That's what's the genius of friendship. It's a voluntary decision every day to recommit ourselves to those for whom we care. In fact, Jesus describes just that kind of relationship in John 15. Let me read these few verse, verses from 15, 12 to 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Being friends with God is not about a biological connection. Being friends with each other is not, in essence, about a biological connection, but rather on self-giving for the other's good. So I just have one uh, appeal to you today to think hard about how you grow your friendships at college. Healthy attachments make healthy ministers. To have a good range of healthy attachments makes healthy ministers. You'll be an unhealthy, a damaging minister unless you maintain a healthy range of attachments. So, are you developing friendships at college that will make you a healthy minister for the next 40, 50 years? I get it that you come to college for a degree and to grow in hard skills, like preaching or understanding uh, Greek. But I'm asking you to think about coming to college to develop your soft skills, like being a friend. 
as, uh, as the proverb goes, people in churches get hired because of their skills, but they get sacked because of their character. And why are you here? Of course, we're going to meet lots of people in classes. And there'll be people in your lunchtime small group who you'll get to know a bit better. But I want you as well to be praying that you would find some friends in whom you can delight and share your soul with. You might not be good at it, and it's not easy for all of us, but for ministry you need to develop those soft skills. A friend, a student who was here previously at Ridley, used to hate going to morning tea because he said, I have no small talk, but I do want to do ministry. He said, well, actually, nine-tenths of ministry is small talk. (laughs) I know it's tedious. We have to work really hard to kind of find topics of conversation. So I challenged him to come to morning tea, first for five minutes and then next semester for ten and just kind of stick around a little bit to grow in his soft skills, just learning to talk to people and to grow in friendship. So much of ministry is not about the hard skills that we desperately need, but it's about those soft skills as well. And one of the greatest encouragements in ministry for me is having peers, colleagues who cheer for me, who aren't in my own church, who don't benefit from the work I'm doing there, but with whom I can get stuff off my chest and talk to and process things when I do catch up with them. And I run a couple of mentoring groups for former students uh, who live on completely opposite sides of Melbourne. Uh, we meet just twice a year, so it's not very often. It's not a high, a high threshold. But boy, do they love being together and just getting stuff off their chest about what they're reading or what they're learning or the kinds of issues they're having with their parish council, which no one's ever had issues with before, of course. Ridley can teach you the hard skills, and we do well, but we also need to encourage you in your soft skills. So please, friend, make the most of of growing friendships here. We can organise some stuff, but you'll need to do that as well, whether it's going on walks around the park, drinks after class, offering hospitality in your home, prayer partnership or study buddies so that we grow together in a vision for things that last. Our whole site screams, make friends. With one proviso, as Ralph Otto Emerson, the American author, said, the only way to have a friend is to be one. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.